You're listening to the Writing Wall Podcast, and I'm your host, Stacey Hawks. Every second and fourth Saturday of the month, I will be here at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and many other platforms. This podcast is designed for indie authors to have a platform to share their books, their poetry, and their stories. We also feature well-known and traditional writers that are from my home state of North Carolina, while also featuring local writers from my backyard right here in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of Allegheny County. You can connect with us on Twitter at The Writing Wall or on Instagram at WritingsOnTheWall85 and grab our links there to our website so that you can keep up with what's happening with our monthly newsletter. Newsletters go out the first of every month and you can also sign up to follow us on the Wix app because everyone has a story. We want to hear yours. What is your story? Welcome to this episode of the Writing Wall Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Hawks, and we're here with award-winning author Avanti Centre. Avanti is a New York Times and international best-selling author of the Tracy Crosswhite series. Former publications include The Lost Power, Solstice Shadows, The Doomsday Medallion, and her latest, Cleopatra's Vendetta. Avanti, thank you so much for being part of our season six. Thanks for having me, Stacey. I'm excited to be here. Share with listeners a little about yourself, where you're from, and the genre you write. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in the Midwest, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Fremont and Angola, kind of up there by Michigan and Ohio. And then I went to college at Purdue, got a degree in computers because I, you know, wanted to be practical, recognizing that it's, you know, writing is a pretty tough go for people. And I had about 20 years as an IT professional. And then finally, about 2013, decided, you know, this writing thing has been on my bucket list for a really long time. And I had a health scare and decided that it was kind of now or never. So I started outlining a book and eventually found an agent and a publisher. And Cleopatra's Vendetta is my fourth published novel. So I write in the genre of Da Vinci Code meets Tomb Raider kind of stuff for fans of James Rollins, Steve Barry, Clive Cussler, Dan Brown. Um, Yeah, so action, adventure, suspense, fun stuff. But I do like to tackle some tough topics. So I, I think of them as smart action thrillers where you have an opportunity to connect with the with the characters so you get that you know feeling of suspense as, as you're reading because you you know you have to know what happens next tell us about cleopatra's vendetta what is it about Cleopatra's vendetta is, you know, kind of one of the main questions is, will Cleopatra finally get her revenge? So it's part modern day, part um, the prologue is from Cleopatra's point of view. And for listeners who don't know, Cleopatra and Mark Anthony lost the war with Octavian primarily because of a propaganda campaign that Octavian waged against them. And so I'm supposing my what if is, you know, because she had so much time to prepare for the invasion, 
invasion of Egypt. You know, what kind of things could she have planned? Uh, could she have planned uh, a revenge, you know, mission? And so the story takes off from there. And then we cut over to present day where we've got a special ops leader named uh, Timothy Stryker and his wife, Angie, who is a self-made CEO. And the two of them have been kind of at each other's throats ever since their son died. And they take a holiday in Italy to try to chill out and, you know, reconnect. And Angie and their four-year-old daughter are kidnapped while Stryker is on a mission trying to stop an assassination. So it becomes kind of part Taken, you know, that, that movie Taken where Liam Neeson will stop at nothing to get his family back. So we've got a little bit of that in there. Stryker, in order to get Angie and Harper back, has to find Cleopatra's missing gold journal because in it she hid the location of a cult that Octavian was the head of. So we're seamlessly integrating things that happened 2,000 years ago with this kidnapping that happened in present time. And we've got some, some pretty serious bad guys who have been around for thousands of years, and uh, they're up to absolutely no good, and readers will love to hate them. Talk to us about what inspired this story. This is certainly a very fascinating time period to research. It was. I've always been fascinated by Cleopatra, and as I was doing my research, I just... (laughs) My jaw dropped, you know, because it it fit perfectly, uh, especially the propaganda piece. So one of the themes of the novel is propaganda, truth, lies, um, you know, epic secrets. And I was shocked to learn that she she did lose, you know, her her crown and her life in part because of the propaganda campaign that had been waged against her. So she's one of the most powerful rulers in history and a woman to boot. And we just don't we as women don't have a whole lot of examples of truly powerful women in history. And so I wanted to put a spotlight on her and it just fit perfectly with the rest of the novel. It was so much fun to research and I'm just thrilled with the critical acclaim that it's been getting so far from readers. With historical fiction or any historical novel research involved, was there anything you found interesting or didn't know about prior to writing this story? Yeah, a couple of things. I had no idea that Alexandria at the time of Cleopatra was technologically advanced. They had like moving walkways. They had coin-operated vending machines. They were uh, very much into equal rights. So women could own property, own businesses, that sort of thing. And I found it fascinating to contrast that with Rome, which, you know, in my uneducated mind, because I've never really, you know, I'm not a history major or anything, but my perception of Rome was that Rome was kind of it, right? You know, they they have a reputation for having their act together. And when you compare the two cities and the two cultures, couldn't be more different. Rome at the time, uh, people killed their second daughters, so think about that for a minute. That that completely shocked me. And I don't even know that they had paved streets at the time, you know, whereas um, Alexandria was kind of a melting pot. It's sort of like if you compare uh, New York City to some dusty Wild West town with saloon doors and mud streets, right? That's kind of what it was like in, in Cleopatra's day. And, and so that really uh, surprised me. While writing and researching this book, do you feel this is an era or time period that you would like to write about again? You know, I might. I'm still trying to think about the follow-up to this novel. I don't have one, you know, half-written like I wish I did. And so, you know, I might return to Cleopatra's time. It's so rich with 
everything that was going on, you know, the murder of her her first um, lover, Julius Caesar. Um, you know, poets started writing about the the dynamic, um, you know, between Egypt and Rome uh, shortly you know, probably even during their lifetimes, right? I mean, there was so much weird drama that went on. You know, um, Mark Anthony, for instance, uh, married Octavian's sister and then fell in love with Cleopatra. So not only do you have these, you know, crazy love stories, but you've got some really interesting uh, military kind of stuff going on. Um, and some serious characters. You know, the other thing that um, I learned about Cleopatra that surprised me was just how smart she was. I think there's so much press given to, oh, she was so pretty and she just seduced these guys. Well, the woman spoke nine languages. She ruled the army and the navy. The country was, you know, very well off under her rule. And she was kind of a prankster, which ties into the novel as well. So she and Mark Anthony would dress up in costume and uh, or disguise. And they would go out bar trawling and meet various subjects and kind of see what was, you know, really going on in people's minds at the time. So it is a rich, a rich era. I kind of enjoy, you know, history time hopping. My last book, Doomsday Medallion, was about Nostradamus. And uh, the first one, The Lost Power, was about Alexander the Great and his Egyptian weapon, um, his mysterious Egyptian weapon that uh, that I made up. So there's so many fascinating time periods in history. And I also like to combine some some science and some intrigue, you know, in there with the with the action. So I'm not sure if I'll, you know, return to her time period or not. How long would you say it took you to write Cleopatra's Vendetta all the way from the time you conceived the idea to publication? This was my pandemic novel. So it took me, I don't know, maybe six months to outline, maybe another six months to a year to write, and then, you know, preparing it for publication. Uh, all my work goes through a developmental editor, copy editor, multiple beta readers, and a final proofreader, as well as audiobook production. And then there's all of the marketing and all that. So I'm not sure listeners, I, as a reader, I never knew what all was involved in, in producing a novel. Um, so it's probably been, you know, two and a half, three years from the time I started, you know, thinking about it. Who was your favorite character to create or write? I think Angie Stryker might be one of my favorites, or maybe her sister Sam's. Angie's a, a major character, and she goes through the ringer, you know, between when the story starts, you know, she's grieving the loss of her infant son and has turned to the bottle to try to deal with that. And that's part of why she and her husband, uh, Tim, are uh, not seeing eye to eye. And then she gets kidnapped, you know, with her daughter, um, taken away to an island, and, uh, you know, has to figure out what's going on and try to find a way off the island. She's pretty sure that her husband and her sister actually works with Tim. So she's pretty sure that they're going to come find her if they can. But uh, she's also learned that she's going to be sold off in seven days. And who knows what's going to happen with her daughter. So she goes through a huge emotional journey. She's also not fed. They don't feed the women while they have them caged up on this island. They're pretty cruel. So her emotional transformation is a pretty big swing. So I really like her a lot. And her sister is snarky. She's Samantha. She's fun. She She's um, a minor character, but she works with, with Tim and they work with another guy. 
Ray, and she just has kind of a snarky sense of humor and is just kind of badass. And um, so she was a really fun character to connect with. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely would um, like to have her back in, in another another story. We all know as authors, some things get cut out of our books. Is there something that you can share that got left out of Cleopatra's Vendetta with our listeners? This one started out where I had, so there's there's a theme in here, sort of like an epic battle between the sexes, right? And so the bad guys who are belong to this cult, the Sons of Adam, you've got the leader of the cult and his son. And I initially had the son as an intersex character who's who was born with genitalia from men and women. And I learned during my research that this happens to, I don't know, one to 5% of the population. And often what happens in real life is that doctors and the parents make a decision about which physical sex the child should have going forward. And of course, the sons of Adam, the bad guy, the commandante chose that um, his child would be male and so my first draft of this novel had Antonio kind of dealing with some of that because he never really felt male and he was you know brought up in this supremely toxic male culture right and so I had him kind of turning to the light side if you will um, because uh, Angie finds this out about him and the feedback that I got from my beta readers, um, my my editor loved it. The feedback I got from my beta readers was mm, all the guys got just really squeamish thinking about, you know, some a man who might have been born with mixed genitalia. Even though this happens, all my male readers just kind of cringed and went, mm. and I didn't want that type of reaction and I didn't want the whole story to be you know that's the one thing that everybody remembers you know is we had this intersex character I chose to just eliminate that whole thing and I think the you know it was kind of a tough decision because you know it fit really well with the theme um and you know I I do like to generate emotional reactions in my readers but at the end of the day I decided to leave that one on the on the chopping block and uh, the feedback that I'm getting now you know from uh, the early reviewers who have access to this novel through NetGalley and things like that is both men and women are really responding to the story um, which is kind of what I wanted you know men tend to really like the action in my stories and women tend to really like the the character development, the suspense, and the, you know, social themes. So I, I like to appeal to both male and female readers. So at the end of the day, that's that's what I cut. Obviously, readers and listeners are now wondering, are you writing another book? And if so, what can you share with us? I am working on another novel. It's kind of funny because it's my first series has three books in it, and this striker thriller is just begging to have a follow-up. But for whatever reason, my muse has me working on this 
heist novel, which is completely unlike anything that I usually do. Um, but it's it's a story of forgiveness. Um, it's about a couple of guys who hate each other because of an incident that happened where we one of them may or may not have killed the younger brother of the other one. So we'll see if that one ends up, you know, right now I'm completely focused on getting Cleopatra's Vendetta launched. So We'll see uh, once I turn back to that if I want to continue to work on it or if I choose to. I have some ideas for a fourth fan ops novel, and so that one's just kind of waiting to be written. And a lot of people are already asking for a follow-up to Cleopatra's Vendetta, so I just need more time. What advice would you give to someone who is looking to publish? I would say that you really, if you've never written a novel before, you really need to hire the best developmental editor that you can afford. Because I think a good part of why I've won so many awards is because I have a fantastic developmental editor, Andrea Robinson. And I think that, you know, I started writing fiction late in life and even though I had studied it along the way and had studied the craft there's things that a really good editor sees that you don't see that just make not only the prose flow but highlight the conflict and and the themes in the novel so I think you know just on my own I write pretty good books but with Andrea's help we write great books so I would recommend that and I would recommend that people set some money aside so even if you are one of the rare that gets a traditional publishing contract. These days, traditional publishers do not typically put a lot of money towards marketing or public relations. So it's an expensive proposition to publish a novel in a way that gets some attention. So those are the the two things that I would suggest um, for aspiring authors. Avanti, thank you again for being part of our season six. It's been a pleasure speaking with you this evening and hearing more about Cleopatra's Vendetta. It's my pleasure, Stacy. Thank you so much for having me on your wonderful show. Interested in historical fiction and want to learn more about author Avanti Centre, head over to our blog for her links, information, and more, or visit her website, avantisentre.com. Listeners can also find her on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also catch her Buy Me a Coffee Season 6 Extra on our platform now, buymeacoffee.com forward slash The Writing Wall. Join us again for a brand new episode of The Writing Wall podcast on April the 8th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we host our partners tea with coffee media and founder tyler witkowski because everyone has a story the writing wall podcast wants to hear yours what is your story Precise, unbiased. That's our friends at Scribblesworth Book Reviews. Scribblesworth is not only a safe haven for writers where they can get free tools, knowledge, and resources to help themselves, but also a place to help each of their clients to reach more readers with less and less effort over time. Check out their book reviews, e-magazine, awards, articles, and more. Just visit scribblesworth.wordpress.com or follow Julio Carlos on Twitter at Julio underscore reviews. Because we all have a story, Scribblesworth Book Reviews wants to read yours, and the Writing Wall Podcast wants to share it. What is your story? 
to our Going Local segment this Saturday. Translating your book from one language into another. Should you or shouldn't you? Well, we have been doing some research and of course as authors, we all want our books to succeed and we would love for everyone to be able to read and enjoy our work. Without question, translating one's book is much like producing an audiobook. It helps to reach a whole new demographic of readers. So what are the pros? Well, one of the first pros is new market equals new money. Just as we extend our reach over social media platforms, translating a book from one language into another can have that same effect. As mentioned before, it opens authors up to a new demographic of followers and fans. And well, it just makes sense. No pun intended. Translating your novel can also bring you new followers and fans. Authors need followers and fans to stay relevant and global markets can help keep readers wanting more of your books. Did you know if you have your book translated and it is overseas, then chances are you can increase the probability of you becoming a bestseller. That's because there are many books in the English speaking markets and it can be difficult to stand out as either an indie or traditional author. So translating your book can help push you towards that bestseller mark. Perhaps best of all, it's low budget for authors these days to distribute their books that are translated to other countries because they're not having to worry about distributing paperbacks and the cost of shipping to foreign countries. The ebook has made everything much, much easier and all that is needed are EPUB files, a computer, Kindle, or another device to upload and enjoy. There are a few cons, however, of having your book translated. One con is that it takes time to have a book translated. Working with one linguist or editor takes time and can even go longer than the initial editing process. It's important to remember to keep your target audience in mind whenever you translate a book and do your due diligence deciding where to launch your book or books and their translated versions. Sometimes just because a book does well in an English speaking market does not mean it will be well received in another. So be prepared to revise or adjust your book accordingly. If you have had your book translated from one language to another, please share with us how the process went. You can find us on Twitter at The Writing Wall or on Instagram at writingsonthewall85. Anytime I purchase a book, I always review, and if I really enjoy reading your work, rest assured it may be shared here on this podcast with my listeners and followers. Of course, I will do so with permission from the author or authors first. Please like, follow, and share this information with other writers, and if you ever need a writer's lift, visit me on social media. Thank you all again for being here for this podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and learning more about the stories you weave. Music